0: What's orange and sounds like a parrot? I don't know. What is orange and sounds like a parrot? A carrot. (laughs) Oh, that is fucking awful. That is exactly (laughs) what I was hoping for. (laughs) Welcome, one and all, to episode two and a half slash three of That Was Genius, a weekly podcast in which two men on different sides of the world share something amazing about history that the other has never heard before. There's a vague theme for each week. This week's theme is Great Historical Journeys. How have you found this one, Tom?
1: Oh, this is this is a good one, Sam. I, I really do enjoy journeys, discovery, exploration. This is a good one.
0: I have to admit, I have been struggling to narrow it down to just one. There are so many that I wanted to talk about. I think the one I've got is a pretty good one, but we're definitely going to have to come back and do this again at some point because... Oh, Absolutely pissing myself at some of the stupid things that people have gotten up to on their on their travels
1: <laughs> yeah yeah there were some cracking ones some of the ones from the middle ages i know i studied quite a few of them when i was at university they're just outstanding yeah really 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 funny some of the monsters that were that um that people were expecting to find when they started traveling outside their sort of known spheres it's hilarious it's great stuff
0: What I like as well, particularly with the medieval stuff, is that when people didn't see the monsters but had heard about them, they just drew them on the maps anyway, because there are definitely be dragons here.
1: Absolutely, or they just pushed them slightly further afield. We didn't find the seven-headed dogmen, but uh, they were just round the corner.
0: They were a little bit further away. Next village. They were in the next village. (laughs) Yeah, so what did you go for, Sam? I have gone for the Hajj of Mansa Musa, the walk which ruined an economy. And what have you gone for Tom? I've gone for the Saga
1: of Eric the Red, which is a Viking saga. Now I did want to say that in a Viking accent, but I don't know what a Viking accent is. Have you got a do you know what a Viking accent would be?
0: Well, given that the Scandinavians speak English better than the English do, I imagine that this is a perfectly <laughs> acceptable Viking accent right now. That's a bit boring. I was thinking it would be like a cross. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> Fuck
1: you. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it'd be like a cross between a pirate and like a stereotypical Scandinavian,
0: um, which I was hoping you would attempt for me, Sam. <laughs> uh, okay, but I think what you're about to hear is probably a drunken Dutchman. <laughs> okay, okay, go for it. Yar! i you my baking! <laughs> I like That's to build exactly like th- IKEA th- like furniture and...
1: <laughs> That's exactly what mine sounded like when I was practising <laughs> in the car earlier. It was... I like my (laughs)
0: long boats (laughs) Please bury me in my boat (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and maybe put that. Ah. That's uh, starting to sound really racistly Indian <laughs> now. That's gone <laughs>
1: that horribly wrong. I was about to say that's what that's what happens when people are crap at accents. They either sound like a bad <laughs> Indian or a bad Jamaican accent, don't they? That's what how they always end up. Anyway, so yes, yeah. I've gone for the saga of Eric the Red and I will I will do it in Queen's English, Sam. I will I will take you through the story of, of Eric the Red and um some of his relatives
0: in Queen's English. Perfect. I will not be doing an African accent for uh, Mansa Musa. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, safe ground, Sam. Just avoid that one. Let's keep this uncontroversial, shall we? Right. Who is going to go first today, Tom? Should we flip a coin? Go for it. Let's flip a coin. I'm flipping a coin. I've not got my wallet on me, but I do have next to me, for reasons unknown, a three meter bright pink tape measure. So, would you like <laughs> if I throw this up in the air? <laughs> is it going to go on the side that has the little clip on it, or the side that says three meter ten foot tape measure? Make your call, Tom. What the hell? so professional, Sam. Um, I'm going to go for the bit with the clip-on, please. You're going to go for the clip-on? The clip-on up. So the clip-on's going to face up, yeah. Clip-on facing up. Mm. Right. Uh, (laughs) That's a beautiful sound effect, Sam. (laughs) Genuinely, (laughs) I have just tossed the tape measure up in the air, and it has landed on the side with the sticker that says three metres on it, and I'm going to go first. I think I'd like to start today. Excellent. You go ahead. And so today I'm going to talk to you about, as uh, I've already alluded, the Hajj of Mansa Musa, the long walk that destroyed the world economy. I may have heard of
1: this one, Sam. I, I really don't know the details, but you've actually just... There was a spark in my
0: mind when you said that. I think I may have heard a bit about this. I'm looking forward to it. That's possibly good, possibly bad, because I don't have an alternative if you have heard of it, so you're just going to have to feign amazement, Tom.
1: <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I'll do that. I don't know much. I, I just that I just think it rang a bell, so
0: I think this is going to be good. I wouldn't be surprised if you'd heard of Mansa Musa, the first of Mali, because he was one of history's richest people. He was absolutely loaded one of the wealthiest people ever to have lived and uh, his story is a bit of an interesting one actually he became king by accident he was the chief advisor to his predecessor who insisted that he wanted to go off on an ocean trip to explore new worlds he thought that there were new lands to be conquered beyond the horizon which of course there were but he vanished without a trace so whoever advised him to go on that trip his chief advisor Really should take a long, hard look at himself and, uh, oh, look, he became the king. Absolutely nothing suspicious there at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how did he make all his money, Sam, this rich man, a Musa? So Musa inherited the throne as the 10th king of Mali in 1312 and immediately became ludicrously, ludicrously rich. The empire of Mali was pretty large, about the size of Peru and have been growing rapidly for around a century. Oh, that's great, because I know how big Peru is, Sam. Yeah, just imagine Peru <laughs> and, uh, and go from there. Everyone knows how big Peru is. All right, it's also roughly the size of South Africa. <laughs> so I don't know what you want from me. I'm going to have to put this in some kind of context that's easy to reference, so look at a fucking map. Wales, Sam. Do, do what everyone else does and just reference Wales. Or football pitches. How many football pitches is it, Sam? Do you know what? Okay, I'm going to edit out the awkward pause as I try and work out in football pitches how big this was. <laughs> Do you want me to play some music, Sam? Right, football pitch in square kilometres. <laughs> I'll play some music. Right. Have you got it yet? So one square kilometre is 186 football pitches. Okay. We are looking at around 186 million football pitches. Excellent. There you go. That's much easier to picture. Oh, fuck it, sorted. <laughs> Why didn't I start with that?
1: <laughs> oh dear. So Mali is the size of 186
0: million football pitches. Good. Yep, absolutely and it had been growing rapidly for around a century before Mansa Musa came along. And he grew it even more, he captured most of Mauritania and as a result, he took on quite a lot of the sub-Saharan trade routes. Mali was very well positioned. It also had ridiculous gold and salt reserves, the largest known in the world at the time. It was where most of the world's gold came from and had done for several centuries. So being the, the Mansa, the king, was basically a ticket to print money. Uh, there's no real way to assess how wealthy he actually was, because there was literally nothing to compare it to at the time. But I've seen estimates of a personal wealth of around $400 billion in today's money. So he was wealthier than most entire European countries at the time, his personal wealth. and uh, That's not including the wealth of the empire, that's just his cash. So a very, very rich man. But he was also a very pious man and a very generous man and uh, a devout Muslim, hence wanting to go on a pilgrimage to mecca the hajj so in 1324 he packed his bags headed off and on the way single-handedly ruined the entire economy of the islamic world for a decade just by trying to be generous oh dear (laughs) because the problem with having more money than anyone in the world has ever seen is that it's very easy to mm, overspend slightly oh god yeah I'm seeing where this is going, Sam. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. It was a very long trip, a journey of about uh, 9,000 kilometres or about 5,500 miles. Or indeed... How many football pitches yeah, is that? So... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I think it's about 85,000 football pitches. Oh, long. so about the, about the size about the size of Chile. Very much so. It's about 35 million blue whales. I'm you know, making that up. That's a completely pulled out of my arse number.
1: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs>
0: Well, it's nice to hear you pulled a blue whale out of your ass. <laughs> oh, I've done, I've done worse. <laughs> the trip would take him all across Central Africa and then up through Egypt. So it was quite the backpacking trip. There's no carriages, really, at this point. There's no roads. So you're going to have to pack light. Well, not if you're the richest man in the world, Tom, because Mansa's overnight bag contained the following. 60,000 of his closest companions and their friends and relatives. Hold on. In a bag? One bag. How big is this? Is this Mary Poppins? Yep. It's a, He's got a massive sack. It's got a massive... It's got, carry on. Mansa Musa's massive sack. <laughs> is, that, is that what this story's called? Yeah, with hindsight, that is the name of this episode. Okay, so he had lots and lots and lots of really tiny people. Yep, 60,000 people, which in football pitches is about 3,000. <laughs> he also had 12,000 slaves, each carrying a little under two kilograms of gold. He had 80 camels with up to 135 kilograms of gold each and 500 servants to march in front of his procession, each carrying a five kilogram golden staff. So in all, Jesus. he took 32 tons of gold on holiday with him and a change of pants. Wow. Probably.
1: He's lucky he didn't encounter any Vikings. Jesus.
0: I mean, he was just a walk in. Surely he was targeted. Probably, but he's got 60,000 friends with him, so you'd have to be quite the I quite suppose. the robber band yeah, to yeah. take that off his hands. Un- Although, to be honest, That's incredible. you wouldn't really needed to have asked that hard to get his cash, as we'll come to. <laughs> but uh, to give you just some idea of how much cash he took with him, Today, in 2018, all of the gold mines in the world combined produce around 3,000 tons of gold a year. So he took with him, as holiday spending money, 1% of the entire world gold production today. And bear in mind, this was before any machinery. This is before deep mines. So this was stuff that had all been dug by hand and was incredibly rare. So I did some maths on this because I actually did some research this week. Look at me go, wow. In 2018 money... He took two hundred and eighty-three million quid on holiday with him. So this was presumably an overland
1: route, wasn't it? it would, so he said he went up through uh, up through Egypt. Yeah. So he
0: they went across um, Central Africa from west to east, and then up the Nile, which was the safest way to go, I think, at the time. And the the route that followed kind of Christ. most of the trade routes. Very long walk. Wow. That yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. And being a a holy pilgrimage, he decided that he was going to be charitable along the way to to splash the cash a little bit and show that he was both incredibly pious and incredibly generous and also kind of give a message to his neighbours that he was a bit too rich to be messed with. A bit of a show of power and a bit of a show of force. So every time he stopped at a market, he would give every single beggar he saw a gold bar. He tipped waiters with literal fistfuls of gold which were worth years of their wages he uh, overpaid a little for his dates and overpaid a lot for souvenirs. And souvenirs, by the way, I'm not making that up. There is historical reference to the fact that he bought knick-knacks in most of the places he visited, like a like a good tourist. I do believe that.
1: The best knick-knack I've ever seen, the best souvenir, was in the Vatican. We, there was a little shop at the top of the Vatican, and there was a little nun running this shop, and you could buy a Pope in a snow dome. <laughs> it was excellent it was excellent there were pope calendars as well do you know at christmas when you get all these shitty calendars you get like the cliff richard calendar where he's looking a little bit more embalmed every year yeah there was a pope <laughs> there was a pope
0: one as well it was a great great knickknack shop sorry sam i interrupted no, no i was just thinking that the current pope you get to get the standard ones you know his family history photos of the pope through time kissing babies and all that The last Pope, you're going to get photos of him manning a German anti-aircraft gun in the calendar, aren't you? (laughs) Hey, nice. We all make mistakes, Tom. We all make mistakes. Like, happening to be born in Germany. Yeah, protecting paedophiles. Um, (laughs) Carry on. Ah, yes. My my favourite Vatican souvenir is that there's loads of uh, priest shops around the Vatican where you can buy priestly attire. Basically, like nice. priest suit shops, priest outfitters, and you can just go and you can buy yourself a, a bishop outfit and just walk around in a stupid hat. How did I not spot that? Did you do this? Did you go dressed? Did you go to the Vatican dressed as the Pope? No, unfortunately, they're really expensive. I didn't have like five hundred quid to splash on a bishop's hat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. I'm sure
0: there's, there's some kind of joke or pun in there somewhere, isn't there? I was about to say, had you rephrased that slightly differently, I think it would have been a lot more inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Mansa Musa, the richest man alive, and he was giving everyone along the way gold. If you tried to rob him, you'd probably just have to have asked politely and he would have <laughs> literally punched you with a golden fist and let you keep it. Uh, He also made charitable charitable donations of about half a tonne of gold each in Cairo, Medina and Mecca. And through his selfless acts of generosity, he single-handedly ruined the economies of every single place he stopped at along the way. Because the problem, and I am not an economist, but I do understand the basic principle that gold is rare, and that is why gold is used as money. There are limited stocks of it. You can't just make more gold and have more gold and therefore be richer. You have to have something that is scarce to buy things that you want. So by giving gold away to every single person, rich or poor, that he met along the way, more than they'd ever have made in their lifetimes, it caused the price of goods and food to skyrocket because suddenly money was worthless. And so, well, firstly, everyone became incredibly poor. Secondly, if you happened to have been in the next market along, the one that Mansa Musa hadn't stopped at, <laughs> or you were... At home with a cold that day, you were fucked <laughs> because suddenly, no matter how wealthy you were, <laughs> yeah, you had been just you'd been thrown into absolute penury by the fact that you were ten minutes ahead or ten minutes behind him, that you'd gone out earlier that morning to get your dates because <laughs> you had the you had the in-laws coming around for tea and you, yeah you, you had to make your date put in and you missed bloody Mansa coming along and throwing his cash out. Oh dear! Absolutely. Money became literally worthless instantaneously, and hyperinflation threatened governments all along his path. And these were some of the wealthiest governments in the world at the time. His donations caused a decade-long recession in Cairo, Medina and Mecca. He literally screwed the entire Mediterranean economy as he travelled along his way. But as you know, he was a generous sort of guy. And so on his way back and learning what he'd done and that by being incredibly generous, he'd accidentally ruined the lives of everyone he met, he tried to fix it by borrowing back as much gold as he could at ludicrous interest rates from anyone who would lend it to him. So he basically took it all back and said, look, give give me the gold back and I'll make it worth your while in the long run. Which didn't fix the problem at all because gold had been absolutely... uh, mullered and so everyone had actually had to get rid of it to try and buy food and essentials so the only people who still had gold were gold traders who made an absolute fortune off it. so it didn't fix the problem at all but in the process he managed to inadvertently control the price of gold for the entire mediterranean and north africa and he's the only man in history ever to have single-handedly been able to control the price of gold i was about to say i th- I, th- I think he would make an excellent bond villain he would but bond villains tend to not be Generous and gre- well, actually, they're quite gregarious Bond villains, aren't they? They always give him a drink before they try and laser his bollocks off. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then then explain what they're trying to do, and then James Bond manages to es- escape, and he takes all that information and destroys them, doesn't he? It's a bit like, in fact, it's a bit like
0: the plot of Kingsman Two, The Golden Circle. That's not supposed to be very good, though, is it? Oh, I quite enjoyed it. I thought Elton John did an excellent cameo. I was speaking to someone
1: recently. Who also went to the same college that we went to, actually Sam. And uh, she comes along to some of the group fitness classes I run. And we were talking about famous people that we've encountered. And on the subject of Kingsman, this uh, girl was saying that she had she'd taken Colin Firth out of his car to an event at Winchester Cathedral, and she was most disappointed because she didn't open the door and find Darcy coming out. She opened the door and found a, a quite old Colin Firth with wrinkles, and he wasn't very tall. Um, a bit of an anticlimax. <laughs> for her, unfortunately. I think she wanted him to get out with like a an open-collared white shirt and, and wet having just crawled out of the lake, but it didn't happen
0: that way, I'm afraid. There'd definitely be something wrong with that image if you opened the back door of your car and Colin Firth got out absolutely soaking wet. <laughs> Maybe she should just have pushed him into a duck
1: pond yeah yeah absolutely or just, or just throwing some evian over him he'd have loved that she said that was a massive disappointment so i actually don't think he can do all that karate and sort of self-defense stuff that he does in the kings i actually think that was just put on for the film what yeah i know i mean he was very good at fighting in bridget jones <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes I could he gave hugh grant what for yeah i can i could just about remember that scene from um, bridget jones Ha, this is a good tangent. Where were we? <laughs> Mansa Musa. Well, That's right. No, let's get back to something sensible. It was Mansa Musa and the role he would play in a James
0: Bond film. That's right. His impact on history is almost that of a James Bond villain, because if you look at the historical price of gold, which I know is something that all of our audience members will want to do, <laughs> it's, an, it's an incredibly interesting graph. <laughs> at around the time Musa went on his little trip, world gold prices dropped by 50%. <sighs> Gold wouldn't be as cheap as when he went on his pilgrimage for another 700 years until World War One. So he really had quite the impact. That's just nuts, isn't it? Yeah. He has... Did he have no idea that this was going to happen? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Most historians think that his intentions were good and he just wanted to go out and show off a little bit, have a good time and make people happy along the way. Well, they, you know what they say
1: about good intentions, don't you, Sam? The road to hell is paved with good intentions.
0: Yeah, or in this case, the road to Mecca Hajj. Yep. was paved with good <laughs> intentions. <laughs> there are a few historians who think that actually what he was doing was kind of a clever form of economic warfare the fact that there was so much gold floating around in Mali that he could afford to temporarily ruin the economies of his neighbours and really his rivals by using hyperinflation as a weapon which would have been incredibly clever and unbelievably advanced for the 14th century maybe that's what happened was there any is there any evidence that he gained in the decades after this trip well no but If you think about it he could afford to soak up the losses and if you've ruined the economies of all your neighbours by dumping gold onto them that's now worthless he had so much wealth backed up that he could have still afforded to maintain his regional power so he could have weakened because you know you've ruined the economies of your neighbours they can no longer afford armies food prices are going up it's causing unrest so there's there is a theory with no real evidence as far as i can see to back it up that he did it deliberately to ruin his neighbors under the guise of being a good samaritan and a generous bloke i personally think he he just went out to party you know royals historically don't have the best reputation for understanding the value of money and the value of wealth and i think he just went out to splash the cash and make an impression either way he wiped 1.5 billion pounds off the uh, Islamic world's economy. Like all the great bearers of financial disaster, he got off scot-free and slunk into obscurity because we don't really know what happened to him after his Hajj. Despite being the richest man in the world, he got back to Mali in 1325 and kind of disappeared off the map. Some believe he died shortly after returning home and his son became the Mansa. Uh, Other historical records suggest he was still in charge for another decade or so. He might have retired at some point during that and handed over to his son. No one really knows. There's not much in the way of written records about him. The Mali Empire carried on, though. Got ridiculously rich and carried on for another couple of hundred years, really, before collapsing through infighting and the the usual competing sons trying to take everything over and then got swallowed up by its neighbours and more or less forgotten. But that is the story. And did they they work through their
1: reserves of gold? So, you know, did they... um Uh, what would be the word did they
0: basically use up all their natural resources of gold no it was incredibly wealthy right up until the end they they never ran out of cash which is why it was such a prize to be split up among the emperor's different sons when it eventually collapsed and why it was so in demand among the neighbors so yeah that is the story of how one man's holiday trip ...ruined the entire world economy for a decade. Fascinating. I I think I had heard
1: a little bit about Mansa Musa... ...but no, that was really, really good to hear more about it. Um, It's interesting contrast, Sam... ...because the Viking journeys that I'm going to describe... ...were certainly not that glamorous. In fact, they sound truly horrendous. They sound like they were just, just really rather unpleasant. As I mentioned at the start, I've decided to talk about the saga of Eric the Red. So... Uh, I've never really looked at Viking exploration, so I thought this would be quite good fun. But I have heard that a lot of Viking sagas are really quite entertaining. And this one is actually quite entertaining. There are some boring bits. They had
0: some mad stories, didn't they? Absolutely. Yeah, some really- the Vikings had some really mental stories about things that they did and actually happened. But also, they're kind of their cultural heritage and their storytelling is bizarre. It's very violent as well. Exceptionally violent um, from what I've read,
1: and I, I I haven't read a lot of it, but yeah, very, very violent and quite bizarre. I, for one, am shocked about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have a reputation for being so kind and generous. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Wouldn't, wouldn't hurt a fly, I hear. No,
1: no, no. They were very kind. Cu- they turned up at Linda's Farm and they just said, hey guys, do you mind if we just sort of sit down for a meal? And yeah, all blown out of proportion. I know, I know. So we've got this saga of Eric the Red, which sits really nicely with another saga, which is called the Greenland Saga, and the two of them are the two basically the two best um, sources of information regarding Viking exploration beyond Iceland, west of Iceland, towards Greenland and basically North America. And have you heard of Leif Erikson, Sam? The name rings a bell. Yeah, good, good, because he's re- he's quite well known. Again, I think probably like Mansa Musa, he's quite well known, but. People probably don't know the details, so I think it's going to be good fun. The saga of Eric the Red is the saga that I I chose to look at in greater detail because the Greenland Saga apparently is quite similar. Both documents are about are from about the 13th century, but they talk about events that took place around the turn of the first uh, millennia, so
0: around 1000 AD. Ah, so about the age of the uh, normal customer for a Viking holiday. Oh, sorry, saga holiday. Damn it, I ruined the pun. A saga <laughs> holiday, fuck it. Start so again, do it again. ha. Huh. That seems to be about the normal age for a customer for Saga holidays. good tush. (laughs) Nice. I'm not editing that out either. I'm leaving that in.
1: The second one was much better (laughs) than the first. Now, the Saga actually starts off pretty slow. It starts off with lots of genealogical stuff. So, you know... Bob, son of Bill, daughter of Julie, had three sons called Jeff, Jim and Jerry. It's all that sort of stuff. Their their names, some of these names are fantastic, by the way, Sam. I'm just going to go through a few of them. Some fairly mediocre ones that are, you know, just quite cool. So there's Olaf the White. Racist. (laughs) There's there's Ode the Deep-Minded. That's quite a nice one. Oh, that's a good one, as nicknames go. Yeah. There's Helgi the Lean. (laughs) Again, very complimentary. Yeah, she had a sister. That was Helgi the Fat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh
1: poor helgi 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 got all the boys and helga nobody ever wanted to go on a date with helga um and there was eystein the rattler i don't know what he was rattling but he presumably That's a DJ name things. isn't it <laughs> eystein the rattler spinning on the ones and twos yeah and then there's earl thorfinn the skull cleaver that's quite a good one. Ooh, that's the name of my firstborn. Skull <laughs> Cleaver. And now we get on to some of the better ones. Thord Horsehead. That's a goodie. <laughs> yeah, there's Thord Horsehead. This one is particularly good. There's Bjorn the Ungartered. And <laughs> I like the implication of that. The implication that it was unusual for a Viking not to wear a garter. <laughs>
0: kinky bastards <laughs> big trouserless bill <laughs> <laughs> and lo he with ungartered <laughs> two meads and it's garters down for him <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, put it, so it away beyond the ungartered and best of all there's kettle flat nose brilliant <laughs> kettle flat nose what a fantastic name that is a great name absolutely and i thought it, it it could be a bit of a game couldn't it you could play this game on long journeys with your family and it could be think of a kitchen utensil or a kitchen electrical equipment and then think of an undesirable facial feature so it could be like <laughs> toaster big nose <laughs> i or, like that or microwave slack jaw i think it could be quite a quite good game jaw so, anyway.
0: foreman lean mean fat grilling machine Goiter.
1: <laughs>
0: Excellent. Oh what else could that S- be a slight tash
1: teapot <laughs> be, Hold on, what else could be there could be Soda Stream um hold on, so <laughs> Soda you can this. Big Come on. is. Soda stream big is. Microwave monobrow. Um,
0: <laughs> I do quite like that. Microwave monobrow. You microwave like monobrow. Kettle Flatnose, fantastic. Microwave Monobrow is definitely my synth-pop band name.
1: <laughs> Microwave Monobrow, yeah, I like that. I, could I be in your synth-pop band? I like
0: synth-pop. Yeah, you can. We're, we're going to be a Kraftwerk tribute band. I was actually in a Kraftwerk tribute band for a short period of time. Were you? What was it called? It was called uh, Kronstadt. <laughs> yep. Anyway, anyway. Right, Back to the back to
1: the saga of Eric the Red. The first journey that we get described is the journey of Erik the Red. And he was one of the early settlers of Iceland. So Iceland, I think it was settled around 1000 AD, Iceland. And if you look at it, it's actually quite far from Norway. If you look at it on a map, it's quite far from from
0: Norway, Sweden and Denmark. How many football pitches would you say it is?
1: Oh, two, probably about
0: two and a half. You keep talking. I'm going to Google this again. You, you, you Google <laughs> the football pitches. Distance um, from Denmark. Can can you shut up while you're googling, please,
1: Sam? I'm trying to take you through a story here. Yeah, I don't need a bloody commentary on you on Wikipedia.
0: Blimey, eighteen thousand one hundred and fifty football pitches. <laughs> excellent, <laughs> excellent. Useful, a useless fact of the of the
1: podcast. we've actually we've actually had quite a lot of useless facts of the podcast already, haven't we? So he was one of the early settlers um, of Iceland, and he was banished to an island. Off Iceland, so a small island on the um, west coast from from what I researched. Very strange circumstances, Sam. So, one of Eric the Reg's Thanes, which I understand to be like a servant, a slave, caused a landslip. Now, I don't know how you cause a landslip, but it caused damage to to the land of Ajolf the Foul. Fights break out, there are deaths. And um, everyone decides, actually, let's get rid of Eric the Red. <clears throat> He's a bit hot-tempered. He can't control his landslips. And so he gets banished to some other part of Iceland, as far as I'm aware. And then we get another incident, and Eric the Red does seem like a hot-tempered chap.
0: As his name suggests. Red in the face, maybe. Red in the face. Red-tempered. Yeah, very angry Eric. Because they kind of they tended to do that, the Vikings, didn't they? Because they had Bluetooth Named after the mobile phone connection. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> who famously liked blueberries and had blue teeth and that's where he got his name from. So I think they were quite they were quite literal. No, I didn't know that. So what whatever his name was, Mr. Fowl, whose land was slipped on. I imagine did horrible farts. Or just had lots of poultry. Yes. Possibly. Loved his chickens. That's it, Sam. The landslip probably killed a load of his chickens. Oh,
1: uh, that'll do it. I think we've worked it out. This is like it's like Agatha Christie, isn't it? <laughs> so we so we have this another incident that turns out with fighting in death and it's over some it's unclear sam it looks like it's cherished magical beads of course it is he lends these these beads to a chap called thorgust um and he later on goes to goes to reclaim these beads and Thorgest says he hasn't got them or he refuses to give them back and another fight breaks out there are more deaths um, and people are even more unhappy with eric the red now and uh, he's basically. Well, that's not left... his fault. Well, I I think he probably went over the top with the deaths, Sam. I I'm not sure that was necessary. For a few beads. Are we
0: talking Viking levels of
1: death? Uh what does it say? I think that it does. That the 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 saga does say that after the incident, both men uh, had quite a lot of armed men around their houses. So it clearly did upset them. You know, there was clearly a lot of angst. Eric's got nowhere to go, and so he decides, fuck it. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna. I was going to say Go West there, but isn't that a Pet Shop Boys song?
0: Yes, but why not?
1: Yeah, it decided, Pet Shop Boys, Go West. And he'd heard a story. That sounds like the start to um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, doesn't it? He'd heard heard his
0: story of a chap called... He was just playing with his beads outside of the school where a couple of Vikings who were up to no good started making trouble in his (laughs) longhouse. He started one little fight and Thor got scared. And said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle
1: to Greenland, which is exactly what happened. Fuck, that was a good segue. We did that well, Sam. I brought that straight back onto Path.
0: <laughs> Listening back, I think we might reconsider whether that was a good segue. Uh, I'm doing <laughs> air fingers now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it worked beautifully.
1: Uh, there was a, a chap called, <laughs> stop with your air fingers. There was, and there was a chap called Gunbjorn and Gunbjorn, about 100 years earlier, had seen land further west, which was presumably Greenland. And the word had got around. And so Eric the Red says, fuck it, nobody wants me here. I've murdered too many people. I've upset too many people. I'm going to piss off with a retinue and see if I can find this land that Gunbjorn uh, talked about 100 years ago. And so he goes off and finds Greenland. Now, that journey itself doesn't seem to be particularly eventful, but he he does go and find Greenland. And then he returns to Iceland a little while later, says, I've discovered Greenland. Who wants to come with me? Let's create a settlement. And he's a very canny fellow, this Eric the Red, because he realises that if he calls it Greenland, or is it Vinland? He may have called it Vinland. If he gives it a good name, he knows that people are going to be more likely to go. So he was a bit of a, you know, marketing, advertising uh, genius, this Eric the Red. Um, so he gives it a good name, an inspiring name, and then he gets a load of settlers, and they they sort of bugger off to, to this new Greenland, and they settle, I think they settled. Um, in two places. They have an eastern and a western settlement in Greenland. So Eric the Red is is the first person to have found Greenland. So that's one of the reasons why why he's, he's fairly famous. Sorry, not the first person, sorry, the first westerner um, to find Greenland. Now the next story we get is the story of Thorbjorn, who goes to join Eric. And this is where we start to appreciate how unpleasant um, this sort of Viking exploration would have been. It really doesn't sound anything like uh, Mansa Musa. So Thorbjorn Thor decides he's going to join Eric. He sells everything he's got, gets himself a boat, and off he goes. He has a terrible journey. So there are fevers and horrible gales. Half of his crew die on the on the journey to, to Greenland. And when he gets to Greenland, things aren't looking too good either. So they've just had a pretty tough winter. You know, the story goes on now to talk about a, a lady called Thorbjorg, who was a prophetess.
0: Um this is getting very confusing. Lots of Thorbs and Thorbuses and Thorbies going on.
1: Absolutely. And I've, I've cut out all the kettle flat noses and the Bjorn the Ungartered. <laughs> I've got rid of as many names as I could. Uh, bearing in mind, they've just settled a rather inhospitable land, and they've been struggling with their fishing, and there's been fevers and things like that. Thorbjorg is doing pretty well for herself. Let me just find the source. You may be able, you may be able to hear me um, turning over
0: paper here, um, because that's how well prepared I am, Sam. Um, so uh, we if we can't, I'm going to insert sound effects of you opening a large and ancient, dusty book. Oh, excellent! Can I add there could be a creaky door in the background as well.
1: Oh. Like that, she's doing very, very well for herself. This, this prophetess, she's doing very well for someone who basically talks bullshit for a living. So she had glass beads on her neck. She had a black hood of lambskin lined with ermine. Uh, she had a staff with a brass knob inlaid with inlaid with gems. Hairy calfskin shoes, ermine skin gloves. She is dressed to the nines, this girl. She's doing very well for herself. Yeah,
0: she sounds like a lord, like the house of lords, lords.
1: Oh, that's a good... Yeah, absolutely. It does It does paint that sort of a picture, doesn't it? Yeah. And people want her to to tell them how things are going to pan out. Are, are things going to get better? Because they've had a horrible winter. And so they're, they're really, really trying to impress her. So she gets a porridge of kids' milk and hearts of all kinds of living creatures. Mm, delicious. Found and cooked for her. Oh, absolutely lovely. Just
0: what I like on my Quaker oats. Uh, yeah, quite Quaker, Quaker oats and random animal hearts. I tell you what, Tom, that redefines hearty breakfast.
1: Oh, that's, fair. that's better, Sam.
0: Oh, I feel like a weight's been taken off my shoulders. <laughs> yeah.
1: Excellent um she had she was given a knife with a handle of walrus tusk which was mounted with two rings of brass so've they've, they've really gone all out for this for this lady um, and she's milking it as well Sam they ask her they ask her what what she thinks is going to happen and she goes oh I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm gonna have to sleep on it you're gonna have to give me a fucking big breakfast in the morning
0: and, <laughs> and I know I might I might condescend to giving you a prophecy or two The only thing that will clear my thoughts is some nice jewelry and another knife. <laughs> yes i quite I'm like much... toast and peanut butter's lovely Ooh, <laughs> mysterious <laughs> i feel
1: something in my waters um, so, so she so she goes she goes to bed and then she gets up the next day and she says oh i, I can't do this unless someone sings me the weird song the I weird sh- song. <laughs> I shit you not. It's the weird song. So we've got, we've got, we've got, we've got to, we've got to appreciate it here, Sam, that, that this is, this translation is from 1880. So the guy that translated it has obviously translated the old Norse text into, into, into English, and he's obviously chosen to translate this as the weird song. And it's not our weird song. She hasn't asked someone to sing a weird song. It's the weird song. Like it's known throughout Viking Lands, oh not that fucking weird song again. Like Baby Shark. It's like oh baby shark <laughs> do, 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 do do baby It's I, I
0: it's just the weird song. Do we get the lyrics of the weird song? Am I jumping ahead here? Do we know what the weird song is?
1: We don't, Sam. But I would I know that you're very musical. You're far more musical than I am. And I was wondering if you could postulate. Have you heard any weird songs on, on albums that you, you would
0: you would potentially sing at this opportunity well there's plenty of pink floyd we could go back to a bit of jethro tull agricultural revolution inspired prog rock i was thinking of the beatles white album
1: cheeky girls Girls.
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh we went culturally in very different directions there suddenly (laughs) didn't we Yeah, The Cheeky Girls are, are,
1: are widely perceived as one of the best bands ever. Aren't they? Sam? the Cheeky Girls very influential influential. Nobody rock said band. it was a
0: good song. It was a weird <laughs> song. You've heard The Beatles' White Album? I have heard The Beatles' White
1: Album. There's that song that goes Number 9. Revolution Number, number nine, 9. Yeah. Number nine. That's the weirdest song I could think of. And as I was thinking of weird songs, because I was just thinking, what would a weird song sound like? The only other weird song I could think, I could think of, I would like to test you with, Sam. I'd like you to tell me. Go on. What, <laughs> what this weird song is. <clears throat> Let me, allow me to clear my throat and put on my best Chaz and Dave. And it isn't a Chaz and Dave song, but I think Chaz and Dave's <laughs> works quite well. Okay. <clears throat> it's only a game show. Better believe I'm right. I'm going to be snookering you, you snookering
0: you tonight. Big Break.
1: And that's the only thing I could think of (laughs) as a weird song. I'm I'm singing the
0: theme tune to Big Break. (laughs) Well, for the purposes of the story, go on then. Let's pretend that the weird song that this priestess was demanding was the Big Break theme tune. For those who don't know, Big Break was a kind of late 80s, early 90s British game show revolving around the game of snooker. A little bit later, actually, Sam. It, it ran into the two thousands. Believe it or not. Fuck off, did it? Really? It absolutely
1: did. I didn't believe that either until I did a bit of research because I thought that would be a really important <laughs> this is thing the to historical
0: research. You're doing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Was, well, next week I was going to do a biography of Jim Davidson, so <laughs> I'm hoping we're prepared for that. And it's interesting now that I reread this this saga of Eric the Red, I realise how much of a resemblance there is between
0: Thorbjorn and John Virgo. <laughs> Remind- John Virgo, of course again for the non-initiated <laughs> being the snooker trick shot the, the incredibly grumpy snooker trick shot player in the uh TV game show Big Break from the late 80s to the early noughties. What I'm hoping
1: Sam, I'm hoping saying is if we achieve nothing with this podcast and if nothing else is achieved we get someone humming the theme tune to Big Break as they walk through Harvard and Yale um to their history lecture. If I can just if I can achieve that <laughs> I'll be just. Oh fuck me, Thomas! If
0: anyone's using this, and I'm, I said Thomas there because I'm (laughs) telling you off. Apparently, If, if anyone, if anyone who's actually studying history listens to this podcast in the hopes of learning fucking anything, we are going straight to hell. I've learnt loads, Sam. I've learnt heaps. I, th- I think history students should
1: listen to this, Sam, and I I want to, If anyone from Harvard or Yale listens to this podcast, I'd like them to somehow message us. I don't know how this works, by the way. Sam's the media guru. Um, presumably, you
0: can message through a podcast, can you? Do you know what? We actually have an email address. Oh, do we? Excellent. Yes, I set one up. It is a relatively simple email address. It's not quite the simplest of email addresses because all <laughs> the ones that were directly related to our podcast were taken. So the email address is That was geniuscast at gmail.com. Oh, okay, that's good. All one word, that was geniuscast at gmail.com. We're also uh, on Twitter, that was genius. So you can look us up on, uh, not on Twitter, on uh, Instagram. That's the first I've heard of that. And on Twitter. Fuck it, I'll start a Twitter. Twitter, Instagram, that was genius. Email that was genius, cast. Do send us an email with any odd historical facts that you've got. Maybe we'll start slotting some audience facts into the end of the show. Oh, that was nicely done. I like that.
1: Let's let's see how long it takes before we get a listener. Anyway, where was I? That's right. She's asked for someone to sing the Big Break theme tune, the weird song, and uh, that is all she needs. That is what she needed. She needed the Big Break theme tune uh, to inspire her. Um, and and suddenly she comes out with her with her prophecies. <laughs> there we go. And, um, so she comes out, and, and it's a very, very, very good prophecy. Bearing in mind, this is the middle of winter, and generally what happens in spring is things get better. She says, in spring, things will get better. Um, so an excellent- Fuck me! Excellent prophecy. She's done well there. And the- Head exploding. I know. And the epidemic of fever is going to get better as well, which is, again, very unusual as winter passes into spring, isn't it? But only if you manage to sink the pink without hitting the yellow, getting it around (laughs) the black and three reds. What countries know what snooker is, Sam? It's quite big in Asia, isn't it? And it's big, Australia and New Zealand, I think, know what not snooker is. Yeah, well, when I do the Mandarin translation of this podcast, we'll be sure to pick up Asian <laughs> <Yeah>. audience. <laughs> like, well, no, most most Asian people say, and we know have better English than us. Um, Very so, true. But, I'm, I'm sure they'll be out of here. And, um, but, and uh, the States,
0: do they know what snooker is in the US? I have no idea. But uh, But if you don't know what snooker is, it's like posh English pool. With more different coloured balls, and it's much harder. Yeah, it's a much bigger table. Bigger table. Smaller pockets. It's a bigger table, smaller pockets, more alcohol. <laughs> yes, yeah. Was, yeah, there are some good
1: stories, aren't there, of famous snooker players who couldn't play without ten pints of lager in their system, <laughs> because their hands shivered too much if they hadn't drunk that much. Anyway... Just to finish off, Thorbjorn eventually does get to Eric. So he actually finds his way to the settlement that, uh, that Eric is living in. So that's a happy ending to that story, that journey by Thorbjorn.
0: What happened to Eric? Ah, he's
1: still alive, Sam. Don't you worry. Oh, sweet. He's still alive for now. <laughs> Literally today. Oh, no, no. He, 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 no, he's not. No, he's. Don't be silly. So his son, he, one of his sons is Leif Eriksson, who is probably the most well known person that we're going to be talking about in the saga of Eric the Red. He sails to Norway as a child. And he meets Olaf Olaf a bit of a mouthful, Olaf Tryggvason who's the king of Norway. And the king of Norway says, I'd like you to go back to Greenland and I'd, I'd like you to spread Christianity throughout Greenland. So on the way back, Leif Erikson is blown off course. Now, this is, is a very important quote, Sam. So I'd like you to pay attention. I'm, I'm going to read this for word for word. So th- this is basically the the discovery of the Americas... Four hundred, five hundred years before columbus the leaf set sail as soon as he was ready he was tossed about a long time out at sea and lighted upon lands of which before he had no expectation there were fields of wild wheat and vine tree in full growth there were also the trees which were called maples and they gathered of all this certain tokens some trunks so large that they were used in house building leaf came upon men who had been shipwrecked and took them home with him and gave them sustenance during the winter and and then he finally finds his, his way back to Greenland. So he basically gets blown off course, um, accidentally finds himself in probably Newfoundland, uh, Newfoundland or Labrador. And uh, I think they're the same thing, aren't they? Newfoundland and Labrador. And uh, this is the best bit of that, that paragraph, that uh, little quote, is he finds other people there. So Leif Erikson, has been he's there are statues of him across across Canada and, and the USA, I think, as well. And his name is known as someone who discovered the Americas before Christopher Columbus. But when he actually turns up, there are two blokes already there who've also been blown off course. It's um funny, I think, but also actually a nice indication of how how much people were travelling but just not writing it down
0: that's amazing isn't it that is genuinely amazing and the fact that he got blown into roughly the same place that these two other guys had as well and this is a common theme in this saga is they don't talk
1: about there are no journeys really talked about that go swimmingly there's a lot of being blown off course (laughs) a lot of people ending up swimming as well talking about going swimmingly yeah they're just going all over the place some of them are getting um blown off course to Ireland some of them getting blown
0: back to Iceland they're going all over the place can I get 10 points as well for not sniggering when you said that people were being blown all over the place and tossed about on the waves (laughs) (laughs) you
1: can you can have uh
0: five points Sam.
1: five points
0: I'll take it five
1: points five points for maturity I lost five points for them mentioning it what house are you in Sam this always seems to come back to Harry Potter which we know you've never read or watched which which house are you why are you asking me which house I have (laughs) I only know two of them. That's fine, because I need
0: to give points to the house. I can't give the points to you; it goes to your house. Fine. I am in uh, uh, Hufflepuff. Huff- okay. <laughs> I have to be Hufflepuff because I couldn't decide which house I'm in, which therefore inherently makes me a Hufflepuff. Is that right? That that's a trait of Hufflepuffers.
1: Okay. So I'm f- five points to Hufflepuff. There you go, Sam. So you get five points to Hufflepuff. Sweet. Your up your yours, fellow Harry. Hufflepuff students, <laughs> up yours, Gryffindor. Anyway so a uh, lot of being blown about you know a lot of a lot of unhappy blowing Sam um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Leif eventually gets back to Iceland Leif Erikson, um, with presumably these two people who he's picked up he reaches home so that's fantastic and he starts spreading Christianity and his dad eric the red is having none of it you know he likes thor he likes his norse gods they're great they know they've got big hammers and they you know they're constantly going around fighting and things like that it's great fun he doesn't want this boring pacifist jesus chap and valhalla sounds brilliant ah bloody right it sounds great it's much more exciting unfortunately for for eric the red his wife does go for christianity and basically says i i shit you not he says to eric you've got to turn over to christianity or you're not getting any sex oh well that, that is exactly what it's, unless unless the word intercourse is meant uh, as in conversation that is exactly what it said she <laughs> says no intercourse for you because you believe in the Norse gods Ex- oh that is harsh isn't it harsh treatment but he clearly did like his Norse gods because he, by the sounds of it he kept with them he went, he went for no sex. Um, so that's the story of Leif Erikson. That's the discovery of North America prior to Columbus. Now we get the next, uh, we get the final journey in the saga of Eric the Red. And there are four chaps involved, four main chaps. So there are actually 160 men involved in this journey. And it's an attempt to settle the land's, around the in of Labrador that have been discovered. And the four leaders of this uh, group of 160 men are Karl Selfney, I think is pronounced, Snorri, and that's spelled S-N-O-R-R-Y, so this isn't a chap who snored, Bjarni, and Thorhall, and I like Thorhall. Thorhall sounds like a nice chap. I want to give you a quote about Thorhall, if I can find it. Thorhall was a big man, dark and of gaunt appearance, rather advanced in years, overbearing in temper of melancholy mood, silent at all times, underhand in his dealings, and withal given to abuse and always inclined towards the worst. He sounds like Eeyore. He does. we found the Viking Eeyore. But yeah, so we've got a Thorhall. So they go with 160 men. Now, this this bit is, again, like the two people that are discovered um, by Leif Erikson. They actually find the keel of a ship in North America when they start traveling around there. So again, it looks like other Norsemen have actually been there. So it looks like other people have actually been there, unless the keel of the ship is from some of the native um, humans who we're going to come on to shortly. So anyway this there's a lot of description of how these four men and their um, their band of 160 other men start exploring the coastline and start going further afield and uh, at one point their the ships come ashore uh, they all come ashore and they've got two presumably Scottish people they're called scotch in the translation but I'm guessing that just means Scots and they had two Scots that were given and given to them by Olaf Trig, Trigverson. and these two Scots are kno- known for being sort of a fleet-footed good runners. And uh, so the two of them are sent off just to explore the land and they go away for three days and they come back and they're describing a land of wheat and grapes, a really sort of beautiful land. And that goes, that's sort of similar to what we've heard from, um, from Leif Erikson, who said that there was wheat and lots of grapevines. And like, we've got a description of what these guys were wearing, these Scottish, uh, Scottish runners. It sounds rather comfortable. Where is the
0: quote, Sam? You might have to edit out this pause as I start trying to find the the quote i I can edit out the pause I, i am glad that you mentioned that there were natives as well not that i would wish ill upon any natives but it's going to be a poor viking trip that doesn't involve just a little bit of rape and pillage there's not much there for them otherwise is there
1: they actually come out on the worst side here they don't actually too well get too well here. Ah, here we go, here we go. So this is what the Scottish people were wearing. So presumably this was a sort of a dress that these runners enjoyed enjoyed running in. It was made with a hood at the top, open at the sides, without sleeves, and was fastened between the legs. So I think it was basically um, like a giraffe onesie that they'd picked up from Matalan. That
0: was the impression that I got, yeah. Kind of like one of these bodybuilders' hoodies that's sleeveless. But also has kind of a, a button-up gusset at the bottom, like a baby's onesie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Absolutely, baby's Sexy. onesie. That is that is
1: very attractive. Would, yeah. So that that's what that clearly was good running gear. Uh, anyway, so they go off explore. Um, they have a difficult winter. So they're, they're exploring all these lands. They have a difficult winter, and we get an incident where Thorhall goes off and he's found. Singing a song, lying down on the floor, singing a song, and he's basically singing I'm a song gonna to be Thor. Snickering
0: you, snickering you
1: tonight. <laughs> oh, not the fucking weird song again. <laughs> oh, oh, he's gone wrong. Everyone hates the weird song. So the other people had been praying to God. They'd been praying to God to help them through the winter. Thor haul buggers off, and he starts singing a song to Thor. And lo and behold, a massive whale beaches. And they all get start getting stuck into this whale. They're like, fuck, this is brilliant. We've been starving all winter and this massive whale's turned up. Feast. Was this Helga the Fat? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. That's unfair. Is that's unfair. No, Helga's still beautiful. Helga the Fat got shipwrecked. <laughs> 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 and all the Vikings so, um, tucked in. No, that's... tucked into Helga. I retract. That's horrible. That's a bad thing to say. That, that
1: was fattest. Yeah, you can't be fattest. I'm leaving it in, um, if it was fattest. Was- <laughs> Thor, Thor Hall starts to gloat, so he starts to say, "Hey, you and your god didn't do much for you, did he?" But I starts, you know, singing my song to Thor, and lo and behold, we get a we get a bloody whale. And when everyone else finds out, that's how they got their whale. They stop eating it. They go, "Hold on, hold on, we don't want your bloody pagan whale. We've all turned to Christianity." So there's a nice undertone here, isn't there? You start reading between the lines, and you see this message that's been uh, delivered by whoever. Um, wrote this original, this sort of secondary source. You know, there's that undertone of you know pagans are bad. Be a Christian. Um, so you've got that sort of subplot going on. I'm getting undertones of sanctimonious pricks, frankly. <laughs> Sanct- sanctimonious pricks. Everyone likes a sanctimonious prick. We get, we come to summertime. The party splits, and poor old Thorhall, he's blown off course. He goes to Ireland and he dies. So he doesn't. Nothing really. Good comes to the poor Thorhall, the miserable git. Everyone else carry on. They find some good spots. They find, in fact, a fantastic spot with lots of of food, lots of uh, fresh water, lots of um, fish from all accounts. It's a fantastic place to stay for a couple of months. And one morning they wake up and they find nine canoes. And here we go. I've got another quote for you, Sam. Get editing as I try and find it. Oh, no, I found that one quite quickly. Um, then Carl Stefani said, What will this betoken? Snorri answered him, It may be that this is a token of peace. Let's us- just. Oh, no, I've got the wrong fucking quote again. Every, t- oh, every time. Every time.
0: Whilst you're doing this, I'm going to calculate how many football pitches the grumpy old Eor got blown off course by to end up in Ireland. It'll be a, yeah, absolutely. It'll be a lot. And apparently, he, he meets
1: his end there as well. He turns up on Ireland. They just kill him. Anyway, I can't find the quotes, Sam. I can't, bol- I can't be bothered trying to find this, the quotes, but they find a really nice spot. And um, some of the natives, who they were calling Scraylings, um, and I did a bit of research on Scraylings, and they looked like a pre-Inuit or proto-Inuit um sort of ethnicity so these were the sort of natives of, of this area of Greenland uh, a little bit later on there are some more skraelings turn up and they start looking to trade so there's a big um, a big interaction between a load of these skraelings and and the Viking settlers and there's a lot of trade and the Vikings say no we're not going to sell any of our weapons for obvious reasons but they, they sort of exchange silks and furs and fabrics and all those sort of things later still we get another incident where a bull escapes from this little settlement from the Vikings and this bull scares the skraelings. so the skraelings are shit scared of this bull three weeks later all hell. Breaks loose. I think the scralings have decided enough is enough, and they turn up en masse. In their canoes uh, with missiles and catapults, Sam. How advanced is that? So you know that they, is quite advanced. Absolutely. So they've got these these missiles. They seem to be throwing. They've got catapults by all accounts. And never just bring a, a trebuchet to an axe fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they, no, I, I wonder how big it was. I mean, I, I had images of a trebuchet when they said there were catapults, but I think I'm not sure you'd be canoe. able to fit one on a canoe. <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. No, it's a, a logistical problem, isn't it? Yeah, you might need a couple of canoes for. a I'm catapult. gonna have to do a sketch. You're gonna have to design. I'm gonna have to be very. Careful how we design this. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't want any stormy seas. So they continue journeying, and this is a bit weird. They find some more scralings, Sam. This is the final sort of interaction with some scralings after they have this. I mean, big that's not barney. that weird. You're in the country of the scralings. Oh, shit, there's some scralings. Fuck me. Oh, no. You wait. They, these three scralings have a chest full of blood and animal marrow. Oh, delicious. I know. Very odd. And presumably, by chest, we're talking about like a wooden chest. Um, and so, yeah, so they've got a chest full of blood and marrow. Very, very strange. Uh, we have the final, sorry, the final, um, interaction with some scralings where the Vikings, they're carrying on on their journeys. They find a family of scralings on the coast. And what do you do when you find a family of scralings on the coast,
0: Sam? You kidnap their two kids. Of course you this do. This is the Vikings. I'm, I'm not entirely surprised.
1: Yeah, so you just go, oh, I'll, have, I'll, I'll have them. Um, but interestingly, from these kids, and this is where it gets fun for people who like adventure and like exploration. I was having fun already. Don't put yourself down. Oh, this is even more fun. This is even more adventurous. Here's a quote. The kids, they said, moreover, that there was land on the other side, over against their land, and the people there were dressed in white garments, uttered loud cries, bare long poles, and wore fringes. This was was supposed to be white man's land. So you know, th- this this is fantastic, isn't it? We've got these Vikings in far lands that they haven't really explored very much, and they're getting stories of people even further afield. Fantastic, um, with poles, yeah, with poles and and weird fringes, and they're they're called white man white men, um, yeah. So we get st- stories of these people, and that no, they weren't poles as in Eastern European. Sam, stop being silly. No, no, they they've got. You know, big long sticks. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what a pole (laughs) is—a big long long stick. Um, We get one strange little little paragraph, which just sounds—it just sounds like a, a, a. Bit of rubbish, to be quite frank, Sam. Something that the authors put in because it sounds good. For anyone who's read about sort of medieval, um, journeys, you may have come across some of the fantastical creatures and, and, monsters that were on Mapa Mundi and they were in Pliny the Elder, which obviously is an ancient source. Um, Isidore of Seville has lots of fantastic creatures and they all talk about monopods. So this is one of the fantastic creatures, which is a, a, a human with one leg who hops around <laughs> and lies on wow. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. And they lie on their back and they put their feet up and it shades them from the sun. And they're actually in the Chronicles of Narnia. So there are monopods in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader if you've if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia. Um so you, but this is a very very strange little sort of paragraph that doesn't really fit in with the rest of it. So I can't help but feel like it was uh, dovetailed into the story to please a few to please a few listeners. Anyway, after this, after they've had their sort of incidents with the Scraylings, they just decide like, enough is enough. This is too difficult um, in Newfoundland and Labrador. We're getting too much, uh, too many issues with the locals. There are too many one-legged people hopping around, causing a nuisance. Um, we're bugging off back to Iceland and they go back to Iceland and and there ends that final final journey of the saga of Eric the Red. There you go, Sam. I love that. I thought that was excellent. I did enjoy reading the saga of Eric the Red. I do recommend it, Sam. It is quite fun. <laughs> is this
0: the uh, the 18th century translation? Or the 19th century translation of it?
1: So this is a translation from 1880 into English by J. Sefton from the original Icelandic Eric
0: Saga Rölder. And that was pronounced in
1: perfect Icelandic.
0: That was pronounced in perfect Icelandic. That's a really good title. In... in- In Icelandic. That is a stonking title.
1: Eddik Saga Yeah. I've been really impressed, by the way, Sam. How long has it been since we were studying history at university? What... 12 years? 10 years? Yes. It was 2000 and 2007, 2008 we graduated, something like that. I honestly, I think it's a hell of a lot easier 10 years later to find these sort of sources. So all of these, all of these, um, sources, I've, I've been reading Vitruvius, I've been reading Plutarch, and you get them all for free online. And there's a fantastic website, website I never came across when I was at university. And I think it's called, uh, VibriVox, or I think it's called VibriVox. And it's lots of voluntary audio books of these um primary secondary sources, these oh, sort wow. of ancient texts. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. so you can go and you can listen to Plutarch. It's bloody brilliant. Free of charge. Fantastic. And do they do they say in do they speak in modern English or uh, yes oh, no, so it's obviously not in Latin, no, but it's it, they're sort of they're people reading, presumably out of copyright translations of these texts. So they're perfectly um understandable,
0: comprehendable. They're they're very good to listen to. Amazing. And that by the way is not a paid sponsorship. That is genuinely uh... I'm, I'm hoping, unless they have just slipped you ten quid, that is a genuine recommendation from Tom. <laughs> yeah, I'm. i My middle name is Honesty, Sam. Honesty, Tom. <laughs> they call me. That's the podcast on Journeys, I guess, Sam. It is. I I've thoroughly enjoyed this week. I enjoyed reading about it. I enjoyed speaking about it. I've enjoyed listening to it
1: and did what did we agree for next week we were going to do tinder dates. we were going to do
0: we? historical tinder dates yeah which is another one that i'm Excellent. really excited for so i think we can <laughs> we can stretch the definition a little bit to bromance as well as romance
1: that's grinder isn't it so i think
0: <laughs> i think that's grinder dates well we can do historical grinder dates but i think that might limit us to uh, the romans and the greeks who uh <laughs> yeah who are very very into that kind of thing but no historical historical tinder dates and bromances i think is uh, next week's topic
1: excellent i look forward to that as well
0: yeah very much so well thank you very much for tuning into episode two and a half slash three of that was genius with sam and tom again if you do want to get in touch with us if there's anything that you've discovered about history that's really funny and you want us to mention at the end of the podcast we would love to hear some of your historical facts or i would i'm making this up as i go along we haven't agreed with this beforehand at all. Uh, you can. I don't want to. I'm not interested at all. <laughs> you can go and have a. Fuck s- off, you lot. You can have a slash. <laughs> <laughs> you can go and have a slash and make yourself a cuppa whilst I read them out. <laughs> you can get in touch with us at thatwasgeniuscast at gmail.com. We have, of course, gone for a free email address. We're not made of money. And if you want to look at funny history things, I'm going to start posting them on our Instagram, which is, and prepare for this to be edited out because I get it wrong, that was genius on Instagram. And I'm going to make us a Twitter as well in the next week because it's not like I've got anything fucking better to do, is it? We'll try our best, won't we? (laughs) We will, yeah. I mean, how much time can it really take up? Honestly, how much time is it going to get given? Well, with that glowing pre-review of our upcoming social media presence, I think it's probably time for us to say (laughs) goodbye for this week. It's in the middle of the night where Tom is, and it's the middle of the day where I am, and I should really put some clothes on. And on that note...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that the end? Is that the end of it? Yeah. Do
0: I not not get to say goodbye? You can say goodbye. I was waiting for you to say goodbye. I was waiting for you to say something, but you were just sat there imagining me with no clothes on. Uh, Yes, goodbye from me as well. See you later. See you next week. (laughs) Bye, everyone.